Welcome to Voices of a Highway, a podcast for, with, and about the incredible people that live and work along Beaufort Highway. Beaufort Highway is a 10-mile corridor in Atlanta, Georgia that crosses three counties and three major cities and is home to more than 1,000 immigrant-owned businesses. Known as the International Corridor of the Southeast, Beaufort Highway stands as a culturally diverse and nuanced locality with over 100,000 people that belong to communities from different parts of the world. Stick around as we delve deeper into the lived experience of this episode's guest. Gracias. Before we jump into this episode, I do want to let our English-speaking audiences know that there is a short section in this episode that is in Spanish. The section starts at around minute 2207 or 2208 and ends and moves back into English at around minute 2546. So please feel free to skip ahead when you get to that part. Thank you and enjoy! June is Immigrant Heritage Month, a time to reflect on the diversity and multiplicity of immigrant journeys in our communities. It is also a time to critically think about the work we have yet to do to create safe and welcoming spaces for immigrants and their descendants. Our guest today is Kathy Hoyos, a second-generation Colombian-American immigration attorney who has worked on Buford Highway for the last nine years, helping the local immigrant community navigate the complex immigration system. She is a partner at the Antoninian Cohen Immigration Law Group, where she began as a receptionist over 10 years ago. In November of 2021, she became the youngest partner in the firm's history. I've had the pleasure of knowing Gathi mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for a couple months now, I think, and we've only, I feel like we've only met in informal settings. Yeah. So I feel like this is the most formal setting that we've met in. This is the only time we've actually been able to sit down. I think I every other time we've been moving and doing yes. things. Yes, or like eating. Yeah. Which we did right before recording this. Right, so exactly. Again. <laughs> um, well, welcome, Kathy. I'm so happy that we found the time to do this. I really respect you and admire you for a lot of reasons, but I'm just really excited that you're here with us today. Thank you. I was really excited and honored when you invited me when I got the email. Well, it's it's... It's exciting for us too, and as I was telling you earlier, I really wanted to have you here because we talk about immigrants a lot with the work that we do, and we work with immigrants a lot, but I think immigration as a concept is a very sensitive subject to talk about, especially within our communities, also in this country, and I think it's important to hear the perspective of someone like you and you working with immigration law and you being an immigrant yourself. I'm excited to see where things intersect and sort of learn more about you both as a lawyer and as an immigrant and working with immigrants. So I think the best way is to just start with you and sort of where you grew up. Um, how you got to Atlanta, and of course, how you came to this little part that is Buford Highway. Yeah, so um, I actually was born and raised in New York, and interestingly enough, I think when people think of New York, they only think of like New York City, but I grew up on Long Island, which was very gringo, (laughs) very like Italian-American, German-American town. We were actually the only Latino Mm -hmm. family there, Um, but we would spend, anybody who's familiar with New York is familiar with Jackson Heights and mm-hmm. Queens, which is like little Columbia. So that's where we would spend almost every every weekend. Um, and I lived there through college. Moved okay. here when I was about 21 years old. Moved mm-hmm. to Lawrenceville, Georgia. Just straight um, to Georgia. Straight to Georgia. Everyone thought I was crazy. Everyone <laughs> was like, what are you going to do in Georgia? I was like, I don't know. I think I'm going to go to law school. I'll figure it out when I get there. 
but yeah, so I was I was 21. I was in love. I thought it was a great idea to just move to a completely was new state. Was that why Georgia yeah. was the location? I okay. don't know that I recommend following mm. a man, but I did. <laughs> uh, I don't regret it. Though, I got here and I actually started working with Caroline Antonini um, probably about two months after I got here. Okay. And initially we were by 14th Street, but mm-hmm. when we merged with Marshall Cohen... Mm-hmm. We were looking for spaces, and they picked Beaufort Highway, and I didn't know anything about Beaufort Highway, but mm-hmm. I think what I really loved about it when we got here is that it reminded me of those trips to New York City. So mm-hmm. New York City itself is built on immigrant communities, and so yeah. there are these little pockets of, like, you know, little Haiti and little Jamaica and little yeah. Columbia, and so it's Beaufort Highway is that, right? Yeah. In Georgia, it's like this one pocket where there's you can get anything you want. You can eat anything from anywhere in the world. And that reminds me of New York a lot. That reminds me of home and kind of like those happy memories that I have. Wow. I had no idea that, first of all, I didn't know that you weren't from here. I don't know why I thought you were from Georgia. Yeah. Your family is here now. Uh, My mom. Okay. I brought my mom. The rest of my family is all still. And my uncle who recently moved here um, to be with us. But the rest of my family is in New York and I do miss it. Okay. Um, because yeah. you've been here a while now. I've been here for 11 years now. Okay. Yeah. Do you feel Southern? <laughs> um, I remember the first time I said y'all and it like rolled off of my tongue and I was like, oh wow, that's actually really nice. So I, I like it now and there are definitely things about it. I wouldn't leave at this point and I think that that has more to do with my career and where mm-hmm. I see myself and what I see myself doing mm-hmm. in the world um, than anything else. But yeah, there are moments when I miss New York. Do you go miss, back often? I go back as often as I can. Okay. My nieces are there. Okay. So, you know, I miss my family. Yeah. That's common for everyone, you know? Even yeah. if it's Long Island or, or another country, it's I think yeah. it's still some of that same feeling of just being an immigrant, you yeah. know? And just distance from family and from your loved ones, especially when something... It doesn't have to be something huge and traumatic, but mm-hmm. when anything happens that, you, like, you want to be there and mm-hmm. that, like, hug means more than anything, yeah. it's really frustrating. I know. Yeah. So... You so your parents are Colombian. My mom is. Your Colombian. mom is Colombian. Mm-hmm. Okay, so would you say that you grew up in like a like a Colombian household? Yeah, so I was raised by my mother okay. as a single mom, and okay. so I grew up in a strictly Colombian household. Strictly Colombian. And by that I mean we um, <laughs> we were not allowed to speak English at home. Okay. So my grandmother raised myself and my cousins, and she would pinch us if we spoke English because she would say like, "If you're speaking English, you're plotting against me, and like I need to know what's happening." I love that <laughs> so that was her yeah. reasoning. Her reasoning was like, "I have." to keep you the five of you in check yeah. if you're speaking English and I can't understand <laughs> it then something's a foul um so we weren't allowed to speak any English at home we were listening to like FM radio in Colombia I am she would el himno nacional right so yeah. like the national anthem right so like she would stand our cousins and I like hand on your heart like so I actually know the Colombian anthem I don't know if I could sing the Star Spangled Banner straight through really um I think that's a crazy thing so for people listening in Colombia, every day, all race radio stations at 6 p.m. and 6 in the morning, too, mm-hmm. they'll play the national anthem. And you stop everything you're doing. Yeah, and, and you sing. <laughs> yeah, and you sing. <laughs> um, I also grew up, just whenever I would go back to Colombia to visit my extended family, it was just such a, a, a lovely way of knowing that I was in Colombia if, if I would hear the anthem at 6. Yeah. But I love that your grandmother in Long Island was like, 
Yes. yes. <laughs> this is, and she would send us, she would have books sent and she would have us read and write in Spanish, which again, at the time as a child, you don't appreciate homework on top of your homework. Mm -hmm. But um, now, wow. I, I have the career that I have because of her, so. Wow. Yeah. What's her, what's her name? Maria Angelica. What's Maria her Angelica. Name? That is a really Colombian it name. Is so Colombian. <laughs> Do you have a, a middle name? I don't. I, okay. My mom chose not to give me a middle name because she said in this country, they don't use middle don't, names, yeah. and so she decided not to give me one. I also don't have a middle name, yeah. which I think is strange for Colombian. I've resented women. a little, right? Like I feel like my cousins have these these beautiful <laughs> names, right? Like Diana Marcela, Jaime Andres, right? Like they have these <laughs> long, gorgeous names, and I'm just like, you know, <laughs> Kathleen. <laughs> it's very. It's like the most Irish name she could have picked out of the dictionary. <laughs> well, Kathy is a is a good in between. Yes, it's a good compromise. For it, and it works. It works. With both English and Spanish. Yes. So in English, they add the H. In Colombia, they just say Kati. I love that. So speaking of your job, yeah. um, I know that you do a lot of work around immigration law, and you work with a lot of immigrants in the city. Um, what got you into this specific part of law in the first place? So when we were kind of having that conversation mm -hmm. a little bit earlier, in my freshman year of undergrad, um, I remember one of our professors asked if anybody had um, dual language skills, if they were native speakers, that they had a friend looking for volunteers. And that was just kind of, you know, the description. They didn't give us anything else. <laughs> and I wasn't doing anything for that summer, so I was like, yeah, sure, I'll send in my resume. And it ended up being a great opportunity to volunteer as a translator at the UN mm -hmm. um, for what's called the Permanent Forum for Indigenous mm -hmm. Issues. And so initially, you and I were talking I had these lofty goals at 17 that I was going to end world hunger and I was going to work at the UN, I was going to do all these big things. And then I went um, and it was great and I met a ton of amazing people and being in that space was mm -hmm. fantastic, but I felt really frustrated mm -hmm. with the approach, right? So the space is given and, and um, there's the time for, for these speeches and these um, kind of problems to be exposed, but no one is really there to listen. and. I didn't feel like solutions were being offered. So at that point I said, you know, I, I don't want to do this kind of like top down. I want to see what I can do that's more grassroots. And that's when I started to look into, into law school and decided, mm -hmm. you know, once I finish here, I'm going to, I'm going to do law school, which is very interesting because my major was international relations. So I ended up okay. switching. Then I did like a dual languages major and everyone thought I was going to be a French teacher. And I was like, no, no, I'm, I'm going to law school. Like they were uh, like, sure, that makes did sense. Did you do specifically French and? French and Italian. Italian. Yes. There's something really powerful about um, being understood in your own language, and there's always these little unique, you know, idioms and phrases that um, mm -hmm. that don't translate. Yeah. You know, you can only say them in your yeah. in your native tongue, and, and if you don't understand them, they just com get completely lost yeah. in translation. And and even simple simple things. I mean, there's nothing like hearing "thank you" in your own language. Mm -hmm. I do think that initial, you know, trust and and just comfort that you feel when people speak your language is so important. And I, I find myself like if I know somebody speaks Spanish, even you know, in our conversation, right, like stopping myself from jumping into yeah. like, Spanish, right, because that's that is ultimately my first language, yes. right. So it's the language that I'm most comfortable mm -hmm. in is is Spanish. Are you fluent in Spanglish? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, we text in Spanglish, which which. You know, we kick ourselves sometimes because my nieces are 13 and 4. Mm -hmm. And so um, 
it's kind of hard to to reinforce Spanish the way that my grandmother did because yeah. they hear us speaking in Spanish, yes. so they speak to us in Spanglish or in English. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know that that's been a little bit of a challenge. <laughs> but at this point, you know, it's it's hard. There's five of us. We grew up like siblings. Yeah. That's how we text. That's how we call. Yeah. That's 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 Which just is, how we navigate. I love that. And it yeah. sounds like you have a really big family too. We do. There were I think at the point that there were the most of us living in one apartment there was like 13 of us so, yeah a whole soccer soccer team yeah and then there were times we had soccer tournaments oh my gosh as, as good Colombians yes exactly as good Colombians we are super tight-knit and also all up in each other's business yeah. um which is sometimes it's not great but sometimes it's it it's important when yeah things happen when things aren't going well you know that there's there's 12 other people that are <laughs> praying or calling or checking in and and so that's yeah, yeah. There's, <laughs> you have that support you know my fa- my mom's side of the family she has eight it's eight of them and they all have kids and they all have kids and everyone has kids and they call themselves la familia granadilla because like si viene una vienen todas they all come together um, and i just love i think about it all the time so you were telling me about you decided to come to law school here. Mm-hmm. And then at what point did you say immigration law is? So immig- so immigration law is the only area that I think ever interested me. Okay. My mom didn't have a green card until I was 15, mm-hmm. and most of my family um, did not have status. So I think mm-hmm. with the exception of like my uncle that had a green card and my grandmother who mm-hmm. had her citizenship, um, that was it, right? Mm-hmm. Nobody else had status. So it was always a, a huge part of my life. Um, but I didn't know if I saw myself in this space, right? Like, yeah. you and I have had a conversation about how formal, right? Like, people mm-hmm. think of attorneys and, you know, I didn't see myself in a really structured, <laughs> like, you know, black and white, like, suits, um, working with a bunch of white men, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> and then I met Carolina. Yeah. And Carolina was actually the first attorney that I met, which is part of some of the work that, that I talked about that we do is centered around you know motivating law students graduation rates and with latinos you know even you start to see yourself in these professions and you start to have these conversations in a lot of other communities in middle school and high school we don't mm-hmm. right so carolina is the first attorney that i met and she was latina and and, and very proudly so mm-hmm. right very proudly latina and to finally meet somebody that I could see myself in doing this work and mm-hmm. doing an amazing job at it and doing it con todo el corazón, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, yeah, I can, I can do this. Like, I can yeah. actually do this. I can oh. see myself in this work. Yeah. And that was ultimately what sealed the deal for me. That's so, I got goosebumps. Yeah. <laughs> in, in a lot of ways, you know, I, I, I love meeting powerful Latina women just doing their thing and sort of changing representation in these spaces and I think you are that to me and thank you a lot of our communities they have to go through a lot of hard times and even speaking about their immigration status or just their immigration journey is hard and so knowing that there's just this like beautiful friendly face like waiting for them um, that's so important especially um, if, if younger people people can look up to you and say, oh, you know, I, it's not all white men. Yeah. <laughs> like, there's just women and, you know, they speak Spanish and they're fun and, and they're smart. And, you know, that, that to me is so important. Um, I assume that a lot of the work that you do is gratifying and also hard. Could you talk a little bit more about maybe what 
parts are really tough for you as a person and, and coming from um, you know a Colombian American background and then what parts are just give you goosebumps and yeah. like good feelings <laughs> um, all of it all of it is good and bad we talked about how interesting and amazing people are and and that's what makes the the work hard and what makes the work great right mm-hmm. um, because the stories are hard right mm-hmm. like you said so many people have suffered through so much like the reasons that brought them here the reasons the, the things that happened to them on the way here the things that they've lived through when they arrived here um, so those stories are hard and I remember um, there, there's one particular story I work with children and one particular story that for an asylum seeker that I heard and she was a young girl and I just remember I, I, I couldn't I for the rest of the evening I would just be crying and my mom said you know if you can't find a way to do this work and like protect yourself then maybe you should do other work and like that was kind of a, a reality check for me in terms of like boundary setting and, and figuring out what were the parts about it that I that I love to do and what were the parts about it that I needed to be cautious about and kind of like um, gatekeep that trauma right because mm-hmm. we we do take in a lot of trauma as immigration attorneys from the community we are the we're we're sometimes the first person that has ever heard this story um, and that's really hard I, I mean I assume other attorneys have the same issue but I definitely personally yeah. am somebody that's um, softer I guess or savvier and so like it is hard for me sometimes to to listen to these stories and take that in and I do need to take a moment to myself afterwards to kind of like recuperate Mm -hmm. um but yeah it's also the best parts about it like culturally it's it's so rich and so like every country has a different word for like straw right so like sometimes even (laughs) just like getting to learn like oh like there's seven different ways to say straw depending on where you're from and um and learning the different aspects of different people's lives that brought them here and what they mm-hmm. did and learning different cultures and learning different traditions so much of that is involved in actually preparing the case and, and contextualizing it and and bringing it to life right because mm-hmm. it, it it is a set of documents and you know in the grand scheme of it am I just paper pushing yes but like I have to do something with that paper that's going to make it stand out and that's Mm going to show like all the different colors and all the different aspects that there are about this work so I think that that's the best part right like getting diving deep into like people and people's stories and being able Mm -hmm. to find a way to translate that is hard and takes time and takes trust building but also like has a really beautiful product at the end I was thinking when you were saying um you know, grab, getting all these colors and sort of putting them into these legal documents. I feel like lawyers are the most pragmatic and like effective storytellers yeah. when you think about it. Well, so much of what we do is storytelling. Yeah. I'm not saying that, you know, novelists aren't doing important work because that's not at all true. But to think of how important it is to get some of these papers processed and to, and to go through these legal processes and that it all starts with, you know, you sitting here with a family that is just telling you their story and that in a lot of ways is having to sort of relive trauma and yeah. that's, a, that's a beautiful way of thinking of what immigration lawyers do and, and the transformation of emotion into a story and then into a legal document. Yeah. That's so amazing. And it makes it hard in that sense, right? Like the level of patience that it takes because you are sometimes, you don't want to re-traumatize somebody mm-hmm. and you are. The person that's making them relive this and there's all these feelings and emotions that come with that and that mm-hmm. sometimes you know you bear the brunt of it so 
knowing when someone's not so much angry at me or just just angry at the process or having Mm -hmm. to like relive it or having to talk about it and like giving someone the space and the grace to like calm back down and then like bring them back to it I I think of my family right Mm -hmm. like I think of my mom and I think of so many things that she didn't understand because it's so complicated right and it would seem like for the most part a lot of us are on the same page about immigration who quote unquote deserves which I hate the term but like deserves to be Mm -hmm. here deserves to have status and like why it shouldn't be a complicated process but it Mm -hmm. is and it can be super frustrating yeah Um, so part of that is understanding what people have been through to be able to guide them in the right way and 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 calm their insecurities and their fears Mm -hmm. in the right way yeah and even before we started recording you were telling me about the importance of establishing trust with your clients and the people that come in here we were talking about how hesitant sometimes people are to to come in for a consultation and how like yes oftentimes so i block out a full hour for our consultations and within this particular case within 15 minutes of seeing the police report like i already know what i have to do and i already mm-hmm. know what the case is going to be and i could walk you through that process but i don't feel comfortable just going ahead and saying okay well this is what we're going to do and this is what it's going to cost like because in building that case i'm going to need to have this person tell their story right and this particular person is here by themselves right and they've been through something traumatic and so they're holding a lot in and you'll see that a lot in our communities but I'm fine now but Mm -hmm. it it happened but it's over now right Mm -hmm. um but what I have to do is make you relive that and I have to have you put that on paper and as I told this person I said you know there are going to be days that you don't like me and I'm going to be the one that makes you cry but we're going to we're going to do this and we're going to do it together and hopefully you're going to be able to like put this on paper and and get this out of you mm-hmm. and then leave it in my hands and we can do something with mm-hmm. it and you don't have to carry that with you and hold that in um, because it's harmful right yeah. like it's hurtful and it, it builds right on yeah. top of all the other struggles and worries that you have like to have gone through something traumatic and have to hold it in mm-hmm. is difficult it's a lot yeah, yeah. so how so really sometimes 45 minutes of an hour consult or just like getting it out and putting Mm -hmm. it on paper and tell leaving that story in my hands Mm -hmm. and trusting that I'm gonna know what I'm gonna do with that story Mm -hmm. that's so beautiful and it's also I think important for any work that you do with immigrants a lot of it is them mistrusting people so I think that's beautiful and and thank you for sharing that I, I assume that there's a lot of people that are maybe afraid to come to a lawyer or to even start any type of process. Um, I was hoping that you could maybe speak directly to, this, to these people and pe- please feel free to do it in Spanish. Yeah, I was gonna um, ask if I could. <laughs> of course. So, Katy va a hablarle a la gente que está escuchando este, este podcast, este episodio. Eh, la gente que quizás tiene miedo o tiene dudas y sí, de, de, de miedo venir a hablar con, con una abogada eh, Katy, ¿qué les, ¿qué les dirías? Eh, tantas cosas pero, <ríe> pero vamos a comenzar por el hecho de que en las comunidades de nosotros Natalia, existe una confusión a veces entre lo que es un abogado y lo que es un notario, porque en, en nuestros países muchas veces un notario es un abogado o el abogado ya es notario, entonces eh, hay muchas personas que se aprovechan y en inmigración a veces la desesperación es mal consejero y nos dejamos llevar porque fulano de tal dijo que el, el caso de él salió así y es igualito al caso mío uh-huh. uh, pero es lo que tú y yo estamos hablando el, el punto de esa consulta es de yo desarrollar y ver qué te hace a, 
tu caso diferente, ¿cierto? Uh -huh. En inmigración una cosa cambia y eso cambia por completo la estrategia que yo tengo y lo que yo puedo hacer. Uh -huh. Entonces es bien importante hablar con alguien que sepa lo que está haciendo, que te pueda asesorar bien, que vaya a escuchar tu historia y que te pueda decir antes de que tú vayas a, en un momento de desesperación, gastar un montón de dinero uh -huh. en alguien que te está vendiendo falsas esperanzas. No le gusta a veces a la gente cuando vienen aquí y yo les digo que no puedo hacer nada, pero a veces es esa la situación y es preferible saber eso, um, haber gastado millones de dólares uh -huh. y sentirte engañado y sentirte decepcionado y resulta que nunca debiste haber hecho lo que, lo que se hizo o nunca calificabas para lo que se te sometió. Entonces, el, el, la desesperación, lo primero es eso, es mal consejero, no dejarse llevar por la desesperación, asesorarse bien y después de eso, contarlo todo. Uh -huh. sí, porque el consejo que yo le doy a alguien es en base a la información que ellos me dan a mí. Entonces, uh -huh. si me esconden algo, si no me dicen algo, o si, porque se borran, las huellas no se borran, uh -huh. son tus huellas para toda tu vida, <risa> nunca se borra, esa información no se borra, está ahí. Um, pero todo va a ser confidencial. Tú me lo estás diciendo a mí para que yo haga un asesoramiento de tu caso y yo te pueda dar un consejo y te pueda dar el mejor consejo para ti. Y, y lo hacemos no solamente pensando en ti, sino pensando en tu familia, ¿cierto? Uh -huh. ¿Qué, ¿Qué va a ser lo mejor para ti? ¿Cuál es la mejor opción? ¿Te conviene? ¿No te conviene? En términos de costos. Todo eso es confidencial. Uh -huh. Yo, después de que yo reciba esa información, te asesoro, te digo y ya esas notas quedan guardadas. Si podemos hacer algo, lo utilizamos en tu caso. Y si no... Yo no reporto eso a ningún lado, nadie uh -huh. tiene acceso, nadie tiene acceso a las notas que yo hago en mi consulta cuando yo te estoy asesorando. Esas notas son nada más que para que si tú me llamas en seis meses porque algo cambió, entonces no siempre yo me voy a acordar de cada detalle de tu uh -huh. caso, yo necesito tener ese recuento de lo que tú y yo hablamos. Um, pero sí, hacerlo con, asesorarse bien, hacerlo con cuidado, no hacerlo con desesperación y ser completamente francos um, de que pueden hablar con confianza uh -huh. y que con sinceridad y con honestidad se les va a dar las opciones que tienen. Muchas gracias. ¿Y en dónde te pueden contactar o cómo pueden encontrar esta firma de abogados? Nosotros estamos en, en la Buford Highway, directamente enfrente de la Asociación Latinoamericana. Estamos, somos Antonini Cohen y es la 2751 Buford Highway en la suite eh, 500 Atlanta, Georgia 30324. Y el número es el 404-523-8141. También me pueden buscar en Facebook, respondo a los mensajes en Facebook. Si me buscan Katy Hoyos, ahí aparezco y me mandan un mensaje. Thank you so much. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad that you did that in Spanish. Thank uh, you. I imagine this is a lot how your day goes. You know, you're doing a lot of work in English and then you'll just switch into Spanish and, and you know, and that's important going back to why languages are important. Um, it, it speaks a lot and, and it says a lot about the kind of work that you do. I know that you talked a little bit about this earlier. You said at one point that the people that you work with, sometimes you think of your own family, right? And things that they maybe wouldn't have understood. I'd love to know how maybe your own relationship with your immigrant background or just your own relationship with how you understand immigrants, how has that changed from the kind of work that you do on Buford Highway? And the, the word immigrant is so, loaded and it's so diverse and it's so unique to every person and we were saying you know you and I we've had many privileges and we've had a very different immigrant background than a lot of the people that we work with so 
how do you think that that definition has changed for you or through your work? Yeah, so what's interesting about, I think, my work is that it hasn't just changed like how I approach my clients, but it's even changed the way that I approach my family, mm. um, which, is, which is a really interesting kind of like new thing that I didn't expect. My mom and I had never really had a conversation before I started doing this work about the reasons that she came to the U.S. in 86. I mean, I want to say less than six months ago, we had a conversation um, watching Narcos, oddly of all things, right? Like, and so there's a scene um, where there's the bombing of the Palace of Justice and there's the, the, the car bombs go off. And it, I think it's beautifully shot in that they use kind of like real images and, and, mm. and fabricated images or, or filmed. But my mom got upset, you know, she was crying. And so then we had, it opened up this whole conversation about how she, you know, remembers when that was happening and remembers like the, the, the glass in the store that she worked with shattering and like the fear that she had. And, you know, I had never thought of her as somebody who came seeking refuge from mm-hmm. a country in war. Um, but really when, when I care, when I like step away from mm-hmm. it, from her being my mom and look at it through that lens, like that's, that was her story. Right. Yeah. Um, so it, it's, and she has a different story from my uncle who like came here in 76 with the circus. So he came in legally and she did not come in legally and every immigrant has a different story not every person immigrates to this country in the same way and not everybody has had the same experience coming here with the system with the process with their story um so yeah i I think that like it has both shaped me and shaped my approach and it has taught me so much right Mm -hmm. it's even opened up my eyes and my kind of narrow um right like i had a first generation immigrant concept of what it was to be an immigrant and I could only really see it from the lens of somebody who grew up in in New York right and who grew up in in all these enclaves and these little immigrant communities where so much is celebrated and there's so much life but there's also so much pain that's hidden underneath mm-hmm. there yeah. um, and kind of like learning to like peel away at that and 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 listen to those stories and find those stories mm-hmm. when we're here and we're in survival mode our communities are in survival mode and I think that that contributes a lot to this idea that like we're leaving that life and that that experience in the past mm-hmm. and we're just not going to talk about it because if we don't talk about it then it won't affect yeah. this here but um, sometimes it's helpful, yeah. you know, to developing that story and to, to being able to, to find what it is that I'm going to be able mm-hmm. to do for somebody. Wow. That felt like something my therapist would say. <laughs> <laughs> that was very therapeutic. I encourage everybody to do counseling. I have done it myself. Again, yeah. secondary uh, trauma is a thing. And so, you know, maybe I've learned a thing or two from yeah. Jen. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. We have our, our last question that we typically ask everybody is um, to give us your top two Buford Highway places that you love. It can be food. It can be someone's house. It can be anything. Um, so I wouldn't say I'm a foodie because I feel like there's an implication there that like foodies go to the, the, the trendy places. Um, but I'm not a foodie, but I do love food. And so we had right before we started, we had um, El Potro, which is my favorite for the chorikeso. It's amazing. I just took somebody there and they text me. And they're like, I can't stop thinking about the chorikeso. I highly recommend El Potro. I love their carnitas. Their margaritas are delicious, the chorikeso. So it's, and then in the middle of the day, Havana, which is actually on the corner right mm-hmm. after our office I think it's Havana sandwich shop mm-hmm. and I love their chicken and cheese empanadas their ropa vieja they have oh. yuca frita 
and they sell colombiana which is really hard to find if at a non-colombian spot yes. so it's a colombian kind of like um i guess it'd be like an like orange soda, soda. Yeah. it's like a fanta and if i could just add one more thing um please aside from my work my actual paid job that pays my bills um <laughs> i do really like you know being a latina attorney and talking to young latina girls so if you're out there if you're not sure what to do if you're concerned about school or just have questions or your first gen because going to college here is hard and getting out of high school is hard and figuring out if you can or want to do law school is hard please do send me a message i do that a lot and um i've met a lot of awesome inspirational young women who are gonna be just as amazing in the future that's amazing do you have like a latina role model that you look up to so carolina is okay. has been so influential in my life and i say mm -hmm. that not just because she's my law partner and was my <laughs> boss for a long time, but, but really, truly, I don't know. I wonder if I had not ended up in Georgia and yeah. I had not come across her if I would be an attorney. And so, like, it's just interesting the, the path that life takes you on and the people that, you know, I, I didn't know who Carolina was before I came here. I just mm -hmm. coincidentally, someone was dropping off a gift and I was like, I want to work for a lawyer. Let me drop off my resume. And so that's how that happened. And it um, was the best spur of the moment decision that I ever made. And she continues to inspire me every day um, through the passion and the love with which she does this work. And so I hope to, to carry that into my oh, cases as well. I love that so much. <laughs> Thank you so much, Kathy. It has been such a pleasure talking to you about immigration, about being a lawyer, about being a Latina lawyer. It's so important that our communities and people listening know the kind of work that you do. And I can't wait to keep working and seeing each other. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this episode of Voices of a Highway. If you enjoyed it, please share it with those around you. And if you'd like to learn more about the work that we do, find us on social media at We Love Buhai, that is B-U-H-I, or head to our website, welovebuhai.org. See you next time.